Be seated, please. Well, I finally figured it out. A little over a year ago, we replaced the traditional pulpit. You can't hear me? Do what down? <laughs> Is that better? Okay. <laughs> About a year ago, we replaced the traditional big wooden pulpit with this small translucent thing that hardly has anything for you to keep your materials on. I've even preached up here a few times since then. And I was a little slow on the uptake. I figured it out. I guess whoever did this figured that if the preacher couldn't bring a whole bunch of materials up here, that they would keep their lesson short. I'm going to show them. <laughs> Earlier this year, I presented a few lessons focused on the idea of practical tips that we could do in our lives that would draw us closer to God and that we would feel good about it. I don't pretend that any of those past lessons or even the ones today with that focus applies to each one of us every time. Maybe the practical tip isn't in a very good one for you. But I do hope regardless of that, I do pray that we are seeking to draw closer to our God. With those lessons, um, we learned a little bit about the fact that um, we should be in worship all of the time, not just on Sunday mornings or Sunday evenings. That as Christians, we are in full-time ministry, not just our paid staff. That Jesus has done so much to move close to us already, and that really to draw near to God, I think that we need to ask the difficult faith questions. This morning, our, our lesson, our practical tip is going to focus on, we need to allow God to forgive us when we sin. And when that happens, we need to move beyond that guilt that we have before our Lord and draw close to Him. Now, now I understand the topic of guilt and forgiveness has a lot of tentacles attached to it. But I'm really going to focus on our need to remove our guilt when God forgives us so that we can draw closer to Him. Understanding that leaves a lot of topics on guilt and forgiveness a little bit untouched. To get into our lesson today, I thought I'd take a few minutes and just give you an update on my shepherd sabbatical. I think most of you know that I decided to take a break as of May 1st for about six months from most um, elder and shepherding duties. Well, what have I been doing? During that time, I've done a little teaching. I've done a little preaching. I did some premarital counseling for a couple and then performed their wedding ceremony in Bozeman. I, uh, I read a book on marriage, divorce, and remarriage that was written by one of our former elders, Bill Lewis. I, I understand that Bill may even be uh, watching us online this morning. And Bill, if you're watching, I love you and I miss you. I've also been reading a book that is a series of essays on Bible translations. It's really been a stiff reminder for me that while God's word is for you and me today, it certainly was not written in 2021 USA English. That translators do make decisions and sometimes they don't even agree on those decisions that they make. I spent time in prayer. I spent time in study about church leadership. Specifically about the need for additional shepherds and leadership here in the Billings Church. I think this, this church, this congregation is still on a needed journey for male spiritual leadership beyond just needing more shepherds. And I know that there's been an additional burden placed on, on, on Mike and Eric. And I've been praying for their strength, their steadfastness, their patience, 
and that they are relying on God. I, I pray for that frequently, and I hope that you are praying for them too. To be blunt, I have not missed much. I have an understanding why God set his leadership structure up the way that it is. It's needed. It's also hard. It requires a complete trust in God and not man that I have not mastered yet. What I have missed the least, again being candid, is almost a constant sense of a type of guilt. And this type of guilt has been reduced for me over the last three and a half months. And, and maybe, maybe you can relate to this type of guilt. This feeling of, I need to do more. I haven't done enough. I really should be, I should be more active in God's church. I need to make more calls. I need to go over and, and serve in this, in this area over here. But if I do that, then something over here has got to stop. Well, that won't work. I just made a decision with very good intention that has half the people happy and half the people unhappy. I understand. Welcome to leadership. But I also know that that's tough when you are tied to the responsibility and the roles that God has assigned. Those things are just part of who I am. And to be honest, if there was a guilt button, I would turn it off on occasion. But there isn't one. But I suspect that some of you deal with the same issue. I'd like to share with you, though, a quick view of guilt from my perspective. Guilt is a God-given emotion. He created that in us. And I think that that emotion of guilt can be a healthy guilt that often brings us before his throne seeking forgiveness. But I see the emotion of guilt in two ways. We have guilt over some issue. It may be something that we have done or something that we haven't done. And, and, and we feel bad about it and we think that we might need to change something. So I know that there is a feeling of guilt and it's often associated with sin, but I don't think that a guilt feeling always has related sin. I'd like to share with you an example. Uh, this is a picture of my son. That's Alex when he was much younger than the 22 years old he is today. He was probably six or seven. And you can see that he has a pretty swollen black eye. Alex and I used to play a wonderful game. He would run full tilt at the top of our stairs and jump off like Superman. And I would be at the bottom of the stairs to catch him. We played that game quite a bit. It was awesome. He got to fly. And I got to sit there and catch and hold my son. I mean, complete and utter trust, right? Well, one time he took a leap off the stairs and I, weren't, I wasn't quite ready for him. I caught part of him with my hands and my knee caught his eye with the other part. I felt so guilty. I mean, I really felt bad. I let my son down. He trusted me and all he got was a black eye out of it. I had a justified guilt feeling because I had let my kid down but there wasn't sin involved, folks. It was not premeditated. Oh, I can't wait for him to jump this time. I'm going to catch him off guard, really hurt him. That would be sinful. You can have a justified guilt feeling and it not be sin. However, guilty feelings per God do often have to do with sin. It seems to me to be the primary reason that God does give us the emotion, the feeling of guilt is to get us to reconcile with him our sin. And in that forgiveness, we need to be seeking change. That, that's what repent really means. We ask for forgiveness and in that, we, we acknowledge before God, help me, I want to change. I want to go the other direction. How people 
handle guilt and their confession and forgiveness happens in different ways. And I'm just going to give you a couple of them. Consider Peter's words in Acts 2. Um, Brian read that text when he preached to the Jews at Pentecost. When he told them what they had done, that their actions had killed God's son, depending on your version, they were cut to the heart. They knew that they were guilty. And they said, what must we do? We know it also says, Peter replied, you need to repent and be baptized. And in verse 41 of chapter 2, it states, so those who received the words were baptized and there were added that day, that day about 3,000 souls. That's a pretty quick response to the need to confess your guilt. But it doesn't always happen that way. After David's adulterous act with Bathsheba and follow-up murder, at least nine months had passed, and it took somebody, God's prophet Nathan, to get in David's face about what he had done. We would say it took somebody to get in David's grill for him to come clean. But if I understand David's writing in Psalm 32, during this time he felt that wasting away guilt, that guilt emotion, even if it wasn't Evident on the outside, it was evident to him on the inside. Now the good part is in both instances, we see that people did move on from their guilt. They accepted God's forgiveness and they moved on. In Acts chapter 2, these phrases are used towards the end of the chapter. Those that had received the word were filled with awe and they had glad and sincere hearts. Those were phrases attributed to this group who just were admitting their guilt And we know that David, once he had accepted the consequences of his sin, he quit fasting, he quit weeping. He cleaned up, took care of his wife, and began to be king again. Neither of these groups stayed mired. They did not stay mired or stuck in their guilt or the consequences of their guilt. Let's ask one of those difficult faith questions. How does God want us to view ourselves? Can we have positive thoughts about who we are? Or perhaps our view is to stay humble. We always need to think badly about ourselves. We we need to stay in that constant state of unworthiness, constant guilt, never good enough. Well, I can share with you scriptures that says we should have joy. We should have confidence. We can do all things through him. Those are good and positive feelings. I can also share scriptures with you that says we should be brought low. The first should become last. Do not consider ourselves better than others. Clearly, there is a balance. If we go too far in that first direction and we just say, listen, I am so cool. I am doing things so awesome before God. I cannot be guilty of anything. Then I have a pride issue. But if I go too far the other way, I'm so unworthy. God could not love me. I can't do anything right. I cannot be forgiven. Then I've got a value issue. I think too far in that direction and it will keep us from wanting to serve him and the cause of his son Jesus to seek and save the lost. Too far in that direction and I think that we cannot get closer to God. Our guilt will hold us back because we have not accepted the forgiveness that God has given us through Jesus. I think of the words of Jesus and we have this in both Mark chapter 12 and Matthew 22 when he is asked what is the greatest commandment. And Jesus responds, you must love the Lord your God with everything that you are, a little paraphrasing there. And the second is like this, 
You need to treat your neighbor as yourself. Jesus right here is quoting a part of God's law from Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18. He's taking just a chunk of it out there. Do you think that Jesus gave us that? We must treat our neighbors as ourselves so that we could have these thoughts. Well, I don't have to be nice to my neighbor because I'm not nice to myself. I don't have to forgive my neighbor because I'm not forgiving myself. I can hate my neighbor because I hate myself. I do not think that that is the context of what Jesus was teaching when he said, treat your neighbor as you would treat yourself. You know, I took a look at several opinions about how to use Jesus's words here about treating neighbors as yourself. And the the thought was most of the opinion said, oh, we could never apply that to ourselves because that might invoke a lot of self-love and we would always treat ourselves better than our neighbors. I don't think that is what Jesus is teaching either. But in the context of Leviticus 19 and in the context of what Jesus is trying to teach from that, I have no problem taking what God is telling the Hebrews about how they are treating their neighbors and applying it to ourselves. I'm going to do that real briefly. Leviticus 19. Do not slander yourself. Don't tell yourself lies about yourself. All right. And one of those lies would be, I am unworthy before God. That's a lie. You are worthy before God because of Jesus. Don't hate yourself. Yes, rebuke yourself when necessary, but do not bear a grudge against yourself. Do not seek revenge against yourself. All of those things I think are applicable. To move closer to God, we must understand we are loved by Him, we are important to Him, and we can take that in a positive sense for our own well-being. We must allow God to forgive us. We must trust that God does not hold a grudge against us when we ask for forgiveness and seek to change in our lives. Here's two quotes directly from God when it comes to what He says about forgiving us. The writer of the book of Hebrews out of chapter 8 quotes the Old Testament scripture from Jeremiah 31, where it says, For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Another one from the Old Testament, Isaiah 44, 22. I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. I don't know if God actually forgets anything. This could be a way of explaining in scripture the way that God treats us, though, When we are forgiven by him, it is if he remembers it no more. Frankly, I don't care if God actually forgets my sin. What I do care about is he is faithful to forgive and he does not hold it against me. Because forgiveness for humans doesn't mean forgetting, does it? You ever heard this silly phrase? Can't you just forgive and forget? No. Though it has, been, it has been easier in recent years to forget about anything for me. But I know we typically do not forget the sins committed against us. And it is difficult to forget those that we have committed and hurt with others. Especially the relationship between us and our Lord. But you know what? We can forgive even if we do not forget. We can move on. We can move forward. We can move closer to God knowing that He has forgiven us through Jesus. Though I think that it is difficult because there are consequences for sin. And sometimes that sin affects the sinner and those around them. But once God forgives, it is important to carry on, to keep the faith. 
do our best to remedy the situation, even when we are living within those consequences. I think there are people who believe in Jesus. I think there are people who believe in God's son. I think there are people who believe that there is a heaven, a place where God resides in spirit. But I wonder if we remember the purpose of Christ to seek and save the lost, to prepare a home for us that God has built where we would live forever, to provide a one-time sacrifice for sin that was so pleasing to God the Father that God said he would forgive us. John writes this, John the Apostle writes this in John, uh, 1 John 1. I'm going to read verses 4 through 7. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live in the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus the Son purifies us. Your, your version might say cleanses us purifies us from all sin. Well, what does it mean to continue or to walk in darkness? It means to be away from God. That's clear from this scripture. It means to be away from the Lord. It may mean that we are staying in our sin, which is not a healthy place to be. Or it may mean that we're staying in darkness because we do not accept his forgiveness. We are so guilt-ridden that we do not draw closer to God. But God has said of this, come into the light. My son has purified you from your sin. I do not hold a grudge against you. Get out of the darkness. Folks, if we cannot forgive ourselves and move closer to God, that is walk in the light. Christ's sacrifice means nothing. Let me repeat this in a different way. If we do not accept the forgiveness from God through Christ's sacrifice, then for us, his death on the cross meant nothing. I'd like to read Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. The writer is explaining the great value of Christ's sacrifice. And he says, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished before God, cleanse our conscience from acts that lead us to death so that we may serve the living God? We can have a clean conscience before God because of Jesus. Why? So that we may serve we do not stay stuck in our guilt. So how about a practical tip if we are dealing with this in our lives? I'm going to use one of the daily prayers that get sent out. This daily prayer was actually sent out a while ago, but I kept it. The daily prayer quoted from Romans chapter 8 and verse 26 and 27. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray, for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. This is the prayer part. Holy God, I do not often know exactly what to pray. Ever been there? I don't know what to pray for. Nevertheless, the spirit of truth himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. You've given that as a promise. Therefore, remind me again. Holy Spirit will guide the words of my mouth for whatever circumstances. What I have to do is listen. Thank you, Father. Amen. Paul's words are truth in his writing to the church in Rome. We often don't know what to pray for. I think especially when it comes to forgiveness and our own guilt. But there is a friend, an advocate, a counselor, a guide that he gives us. And that is his Holy Spirit. And so as we take that to God, seeking forgiveness 
There's the last part of this that I think is so important. And that is we listen to him. We listen to God's words that says, I will forgive you. I will not bear a grudge against you. Come into the light. Walk out of the darkness. Walk with me. Serve me. What's the feeling good part about it? I think that's the easy one. Maybe as adults that we miss out how we felt, that we might see it in our kids and our grandkids. When we did something wrong as a youngster and we felt so bad about it before our parents, maybe there's a little tear coming out of our eyes and, and they would give us a hug and they would say, listen, it's going to be okay. I'm not necessarily mad at you. I'm disappointed. Anybody ever heard that? But it made us feel better knowing that they're not mad at us. And yeah, we might have some consequences to deal with us. We just felt better. I'm telling you that God has said the same thing when we confess our sins. Knowing the blood of Jesus has cleansed us. God has given us and offered that comforting, forgiving hug. We need to listen, accept it, and draw near to him. There's a starting point in this journey to move closer to God, to know his comfort. The starting point is to become a Christian. If you are not a Christian, you're still in the dark. You're still walking away from the Lord. So who's a Christian? Well, Christ is in the name, so I think it's pretty important to be related to Christ if you are a Christian. A Christian is one who follows Christ. One who has accepted Jesus as their Savior and confessed that He is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God before man. One who has had their sins washed away in baptism. One who desires to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, not in the footsteps of the world. If this church can help you in any way become a Christian today, We'd love to help you along that journey. Or if you are a Christian and recognize that I have not confessed my guilt before man, there is a group of us that will be in the back. We stand ready to help you on this journey while we stand and sing.